Well, I didn't expect the uh, prop, but we'll use it since it's right here. And also we could probably just cue the closing song because that was wonderful, wasn't it? But we're not going to because there's more to say. So I'm going to encourage you and ask you to find Genesis 28 starting at verse 10 that we'll read together as our scripture reading today where we read this story that Sherry was telling us about Jacob where he finds this rock and he makes this pillow and he has a dream. Genesis 28 starting at verse 10 it says Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. That's the homeland. That's where the family came from. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord. The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the place used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. The word of the Lord. As we look at this, and I think as Sherry and thank you, Crosby, uh, both illustrated um, really well, finding a place where you can commune with God is important. And it's a sacred place is what that ends up being. That's what Jacob created. The world is full of places that are called sacred. Uh, There are places all around the world that people will take pilgrimage to. Every religion has places that they hallow and call sacred. Um, every, even, even sort of the religion of sort of secularity, which is sort of a religious system of itself, has places that matter, that would be sacred in that worldview. Um, I personally have stood in, uh, the, on the Dome of the Rock, also the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, a place that's considered sacred to three major faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And you stand there currently occupied on the, in the most prominent way with two mosques, so Islam has the upper hand on the space right now. Of course, next to it, you have uh, Judaism has a pretty good foothold, literally on the foot of the thing and the western wall, and it's a place that even when you go there, it feels different. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons it feels different, but it feels different even to step into a place like that. What Jacob does here is he creates a sacred place. He creates, it's a place that in verse 12, it says he went to a certain place. It doesn't even tell us the name up front. It tells us later, but he took an ordinary place and an ordinary item 
Thank you for leaving the rocks, Cherry. And he marks the moment and he marks the place as Bethel, house of God, is what that means. Now, I want to combine that with another thought. So we're talking about sacred places, places that are set apart. The other thing is I want to talk about a concept, which is, uh, it's in Scripture, and I'll cite a couple verses for you, but it's encapsulated by the Latin term corum deo, which has been around for a number of centuries in use anyways. That at all times, this is the concept, at all times we live in the presence of God. It's inescapable. You can't get out of God's presence. As Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Jeremiah 23, 24. You have God speaking through the prophet, and God says, Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth. Coram Deo. There's not a place we can go in this world, no matter how hard we try, when we, were, when we will be out of the presence of God. And now I want to combine that with those two thoughts in just a moment, but I want to remind us where we've been in this series in Genesis, because this is important. We've said over and over that God is a God of blessing and promise. And because God is a God of blessing and promise, God is a God who sustains when he blesses and through until the promise is fulfilled. God is a God who sustains us through all that. He sustains what he has created. But, caveat on this, we only get to participate in the promise when we wake up to God's presence. Are you awake today? So if we put these two thoughts together then, with that in mind, sacred places and quorum Deo, that we're always in the presence of God, We need to recognize that a sacred place is only sacred because God's presence would be there and mark it as sacred. It's not the rock that makes it sacred, it's God. And because it's set apart for that purpose. Otherwise, it's just a building or a rock or whatever. And you can think about this in terms of Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the whole point of the movie is that they want to stop the Nazis from getting the Ark. Why? Because it apparently has inherent power, and if the Nazis get it, they'll conquer the world. But it doesn't. The artifact has no power other than what God would give it. It's just an artifact. Only God has the power. Secondly, if you put two and two together here, that a sacred place only would have power because God's presence would be there, you are in God's presence right now. And the question isn't even so much, uh, that's wonderful. The question is, are you aware of that? But the question actually is a little further than that, is what are you going to do once you become aware of that? And that's where Jacob finds himself. He's in the face of God. He didn't realize he was before God. And now he realizes, I need to do something with this reality and this knowledge. And that's what he wakes up to. And so as you think through the story and where it's come so far in the book of Genesis, God from the beginning set up and blessed his creation, created in the image of God, Adam and Eve, placed in the garden. God's intent was shalom, wholeness, the highest good for humanity and human flourishing, and that humans would be able to interchange and relate to God virtually face-to-face, basically. That they'd be shameless and guiltless, sinless, and able to do that. And we're still created in the image of God. Let's never forget that, but that image has been broken by sin and the curse of sin and our part in sin and the effect of sin on us. And so God created the covenant with Abraham and with Sarah that through your family line, I'm going to restore what's broken. 
That's the promise. I'll bless the rest of the world, and the promise is to reconcile, to put back together that which is broken, and to bring them in right relationship again with me. Anybody who will partake of that promise and join in with that. That's what's been going on. So Abraham and Sarah end up having Isaac. We heard about Isaac last week. But by the third generation, by Isaac's kids, Jacob and Esau, i got to tell you, the promise seems in peril. It seems problematic. And we saw that with Esau last week. Esau was not fit to be the bearer of the covenant. That gets shown over and over. But we also pointed out, Jacob didn't seem much better. Jacob seemed like he had some pretty serious problems. And so what we saw last week is that he swindled his brother out of his birthright as the oldest. And then, while we didn't read it, we'll read the effect of it here in a moment. Then Jacob ends up fooling his dad so that he gets the blessing as well. And you can guess what Esau's reaction is, but let's read it because that'd be more interesting. In Genesis 27, starting at verse 41, right after this blessing had been taken and basically what Esau gets is a blessing, but a little bit of a kind of a curse too. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he's not happy about what's happened. Continuing on, it says, when Rebecca, so when mom was told that her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to your brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose you both in one day? And then she also points out, we won't read this part, but she keeps going on. She says, by the way, while you're there, find a wife in Haran. So he's got a couple jobs that he needs to do. So what does he do? He flees. And that's the story that we run into today. Is Jacob running away? He's been running away for a number of days by this point, And it may very well be the first time that he's had a chance to catch his breath or something to that effect. But in any case, something remarkable happens. He lays down, he puts his head on the rock, and then he has this dream. And in the dream, he gets an image. Now, classically, you'll see art that sometimes has something like a ladder. And that's what the text, it says ladder. It can be understood as ladder or stairway. It seems like stairway probably makes a little more sense. And I'll, I'll show you why, because I think God uses images that we understand. God didn't give uh, Jacob an image of this kind of a ladder with fiberglass edges from our day and age. He probably gave him something he would recognize from his own time. Every town and city in the ancient world of note had something called a ziggurat, which would be like the Tower of Babel. Uh, and sound people, can you throw that up? So it looks something like what you see here. This is an, uh, a Renaissance piece of art of the Tower of Babel. Uh, that you'd see kind of a stairway that's going up is the idea. That's what an ancient ziggurat was. The idea is that these would be portals between the divine and the human world. That either the gods would be able to come down on something like this in an ancient city, or they'd be able to go up and kind of bend God, a god's ear towards them. Jacob sees something that's probably similar to this concept, something like a stairway of some kind. And uh, in this dream, and he sees angels ascending and descending, and then it says uh, in verse 13, uh, it says he, um, sorry, that's 12, here, 13, there above it stood the Lord. 
Uh, little question as well is, is God above it or next to it? It could be either, and the way it's interpreted, it doesn't really matter. God's close is what we're supposed to see. God's right there. The stairway, whatever it is, the ladder, whatever it is, God's presence is obvious to Jacob in this moment. And what does God do in this moment when he now has Jacob's attention? He restates the covenant, basically. He says, there's a promise. You're part of the promise. You've been running away. It's as if you didn't even know the promise. And what's odd, I mean, go back and read chapter 27 after worship today and read when, uh, when Jacob gets blessed as if he's Esau. It's basically the covenant promise that he's being blessed with. This is knowledge Jacob had. It's not new knowledge, and yet God is giving it to him like, Jacob, come on, wake up. It's as if you've forgotten what your role is and what your job is and what the blessing is. And, and it reminded me, as I, as I worked through this this week, it reminded me of the quote from Samuel Johnson of a couple hundred years ago where he says, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. Which is true, I think. And, and think about this, because Jacob is kind of like somebody who grew up in the church, right? And sometimes we grow up in the church, and we end up with a lot of gaps in our theological data. A lot of gaps, and, and, and don't absorb the whole thing. And it's like we need to be reminded, and when we're reminded, we're like, oh yeah, that is part of what we believe as Christians. That is part of what it is. And we need to make sure that we don't end up like Jacob in this case, where we've forgotten the basics of the faith. We need to continue to complete the theological data in our own minds and our own beliefs so that we know what it is we believe. And that's what Jacob's facing, basically. It's as if he's forgotten what he's, who he is. Jacob's response, though, is interesting. And so here, let me start with a story. And, and his response is something like this. Uh, the first church I served, I was a youth pastor um, when I got into ministry, and we decided to take a retreat uh, to snowier areas of the country in January. That's where my youth wanted to go. It was all guys that went on this retreat. I, I pitched one place first, and they're like, there's never snow there. We're not going there. So I pitched this place. We were in Indianapolis, six hours straight north on Lake Michigan, a covenant camp. We'll go there in January on a weekend. And uh, we couldn't leave until like 3.45 on a Friday because they had to... Um, they had to get out of school. They couldn't leave early. And I knew we were going to run into lake effect snow once we got to Michigan. So I'm trying to hurry these guys along. Come on, guys. Let's go. Let's go. We stopped just across the Michigan border. It was a long trip, like a six-hour trip. Uh, we knew that. And so we were trying to hurry up. We sit down at the Taco Bell. I'm trying to hurry them through Taco Bell because we're losing sunlight and the flakes are starting to fly. Finally get in the car. And we're driving down the road. And they all get on their devices and I'm driving, and I've been driving for only like 15 minutes when it's starting to pile up. Half an hour, now it's dark, and it's white out. It's white knuckle driving. Uh, it's slow, 25, 35 miles an hour, following a truck very closely so I can just see the road at this point. An hour and a half or two hours in, finally, after two hours of white knuckle driving, one of them looks up from their device and says, huh, it's snowing. That's Jacob. That's Jacob right here. Huh, God's here. And I didn't even know it. God's right here in my presence. He wakes up with fear and surprise is what first happens. In verse 16, 
He says it right there. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. I was asleep. I wasn't awake is really what it's literally saying there to the fact that God was here. Then uh, he, he was, God was obviously trying to get his attention. He, he responds with fear and surprise. He's still a little afraid when he responds with the next thing. But in verse 18, he responds with consecration. He marks the place. In verse 18, and early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head. Likely, it wasn't for comfort. Um, Maybe a little bit. It's a rock, but it's also probably for protection, too. He's out in the elements. He put the stone, uh, placed the stone under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it, which is how you would consecrate an item and set it apart as holy or as someplace sacred. This is a place he wants to remember. This is a time he wants to remember, and now he's recognized that God was here, that God spoke to him, and God was with him. He woke up. Now, if we skip ahead a little bit in the story to the book of John, yes, we're skipping way ahead to the fulfillment of the covenant in Jesus Christ, we also see a moment where waking up needed to occur. John chapter 1, verses 9 and following, it says, the true light, that's Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's the promise fulfilled. And when the promise was being fulfilled through Jesus Christ, the people who should have recognized, most of them didn't see it. They didn't see it coming. They didn't recognize it at the time. They were asleep, not awake to God's presence. Up until we uh, entered into this period in March of uh, kind of shutting things down, to not worshiping together in churches, to not going to restaurants, to all the things that we've had to face uh, within this COVID-19 period, I had a, a habit Every Monday morning before I came in, into this building, um, I would go to a chapel just down the road and pray for anywhere from 15 to 60 minutes and just sit there um, with the text for the week and just be silent before God and listen. It was a remarkable time and a remarkable mark to my week because it would not only just allow me to listen for just that short window of time of the week, but it also opened myself up to the awareness of God throughout the rest of the week. So I was in listening mode for the rest of the week. And that rhythm was really thrown off because I haven't gone back there for quite a while in that same rhythm. And, and even though I should point out, I'm in a place that is sacred right now, it's also my workplace. So I get very distracted. I needed a non-distracted place to be. And it worked. But there's something really important. I think Sherry tapped into it in the children's message about marking places as sacred because those are places where we can actually listen and be undistracted and be awake to the presence of God. And those places matter. Of course God is everywhere. Of course we can hear God everywhere. But sometimes we're distracted by the things around us. And so the question I have for you this morning is we consider Jacob's story, as we consider the promise of God through Jesus Christ, and even when Jesus came, people didn't recognize that he was there and the fulfillment of the promise. The question is this, what places, spaces, or times need to be marked as sacred in your life so that you won't miss God's presence? 
Or if you want to put it a different way, in a more Jacob story way, what places in your life need to be renamed Bethel, house of God, so that you will remember God is there and listen. The other thing I want to point out, though, that goes with this story that I think we have to end on, that is significant, is that Jacob doesn't just wake up with fear and surprise. And Jacob doesn't just respond by consecrating the place as sacred and then walking away from that place, although he does move on. Jacob has a level of commitment that goes with him. He commits to the Lord. And now, albeit with a ton of conditions that God is obviously able to fulfill, but he commits at least to continue to move forward with God. He doesn't just say, that was a wonderful memory, and now it's over, and now I can go on about my life. No, he says, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to be able to claim this God as I walk forward with God. He will be my God. That's what's going to happen. If you look at verse 15, and then you also uh, move on to 20, verse 15 God says, this promise there, um, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. That's God's word to Jacob. And Jacob says, okay, I want to believe that. I'm going to commit as if I can walk forward with you in that. But in verse 20, he says, Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and will watch over me, then he says, and it keeps going on, that this thing that I've set up as a pillar, God's going to be my God. He's going to walk forward with God, committing to make this reality. And Jacob's only able to respond to God and to God's presence, to God showing his face and stepping beside him at that stairway or that ladder because he woke up. That's why. He woke up to the fact that God was there, and he ultimately woke up and then committed himself to transformation, to move down the line of that blessing of the covenant with God, and the promise that would come. Now, at this point, I'd like us to hear a testimony of how God has done this in the life of someone in our own congregation. So we're going to see a video now of Joyce Bingham, and I did a Zoom interview with Joyce this week about how God has worked in her life to take something that would be ordinary, and it's, it's a fun little way that God has done this, and, and make it sacred in her life so that she's able to actually commune with God. Um, in her day-to-day walk. So let's go ahead and go to the video. All right, we have Joyce Bingaman here, and Joyce is going to give us a testimony of how God has taken uh, areas or items in her life and made them uh, special and sacred. And so, Joyce, um, as you consider... uh, what God has been doing recently in your life, in what way has God taken any ordinary items or places and made them sacred in your life? And what has been the result of God doing that? Yeah, um, so maybe a year ago, um, I was struggling a lot with anxiety and um, I had a sponsor who I was working with for my anxiety and she um, had suggested that I just thought my bad thoughts and that I could just change them. And that just seemed really hard to me. Um, But usually I would have them when I was nursing my son Teddy in private in um, the dark and I was alone and I would have these bad thoughts. And I just felt like my mind was like a really dangerous neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Um, So 
I tried that where I was like, okay, I'm just gonna think about flowers. And I was thinking about flowers and I just instead saw like brambles and bushes and dry ground. And I just felt like my brain was just like full of weeds and all this like yucky stuff. And so for fun, I was like, what if I take a bulldozer and just like bulldoze it? And so I did that and it was like this plain and clear. And um, I decided, what if I tried to plant a flower in my mind while I was nursing my son in the quiet? And um, I tried planting like a rosemary bush and that was just kind of didn't go anywhere. Um, so when I would go to nurse him, instead of worrying or having anxiety, so something very ordinary, just taking care of your kid, um, I would try to revisit that place in my mind and my thoughts. And so one time, I saw a river that was there and I thought that makes a lot of sense like a river has to water the ground and take care of it before there can be growth and so I really connected it at the time to the reading I was doing in Genesis and how the Garden of Eden was planted in between two rivers and so it became a place that while I was nursing instead of worrying I could just sit there so um, I don't nurse anymore but I still have that place I call it my river in my mind that I can go to and I just sit there with God. And so um, one really concrete way that I've used this place of prayer for myself is I have a friend from college who in April was hit by a car while walking and she's been in the hospital in critical condition since. It's really, really bad. And she has this over 3,000 people praying for her in a Facebook group called Chelsea's Army. And she has just had these miracles happening to her. So she had 30 or 40% of her brainstem infected. And that was in Buffalo where they saw that. And now that she's in Colorado at this um, spinal rehab center, they say 0% on the newest MRI. And she had her pelvis like totally fractured and in latest MRI, it's completely healed. So she's having these huge miracles. So I've been, praying for her and sitting with her in my special place in my mind when I'm in a quiet place. So I've been picturing myself sitting with Chelsea and just taking water from the river and pouring it on her feet. I've been praying for her feet and her calves so she could walk, her toes, and she's having trouble swallowing. So I've been giving her water. So it's very visual. It's like when you're reading a book and when you're reading it, you just see that place. Um, so it's like a setting and it's really special to me. And so as it changes me, I just um, take your advice, Evan, that you gave me a year ago when I started going through some big changes in my own life, that when God says something, you respond with yes and. And so when I trust that I'm showing up and I'm showing up with God and I'm saying, here I am, that when something comes at me, I'm saying yes and. So it's changed the books I've, I read, the things I listen to, the way I study, and the way I spend my time. And like right now I'm reading books um, about indigenous populations that a year ago I would have never thought that that would be something that interests me. But as God changes my heart, I am changing. So um, my encouragement to people that want to walk with Jesus is that you show up and you create a quiet space and you listen and you just see what God says. I wasn't expecting to find this space. I just said, I want to look at flowers. And I just found this place that's really special and meaningful to me. 
and you don't know what God has for you when you show up and you don't know what God's going to put. And it, you just have to trust that if you're showing up and saying, Jesus, I'm here, that what God gives back is going to be good and holy from the Lord because he's giving it to you. That's what I got. That's great. I, I really love hearing that. And what I, I love about what you're saying here, you know, what we heard in the sermon is that Jacob found a physical place. And you're not simply talking about a physical place, although I'm sure there are ways that if you saw a river, for instance, it, it you know, makes you reflect on that place in your mind. But you took even something ordinary in your mind and made it a place where you can commune with God anywhere. And that's, that's a great testimony. I really appreciate that. Just so everybody knows, in the background, all you're hearing is happy noises. Uh, from the kids, and um, I'm delighted, Joyce, that uh, you were able to give us that testimony and uh, that your kids were able to be there, too. So thank you very much for the word yeah. you shared. Yeah, thank you. 